0: Welcome to the last episode of Audience First. No worries, just for 2022. Now, I am thrilled because when I first started the show back in March, I initially created it as a tool to better learn about the audiences that I wanted to engage and persuade. Little did I know that it would resonate so well in the cybersecurity community, both from the practitioner side and the go-to-market and business side. So I want to thank all of my loyal followers, 700 strong and growing within the A1 community and newsletter, 10,000 strong within the social networks, and my awesome guests, most importantly, who took time out of their busy schedules to tell me the brutally honest truth. Why? So that I and we can get better at how we engage them, persuade them, acquire, and retain customers in this complex industry. All right, so what's this episode about? Well, these past nine months have been one large curation exercise, and that's what customer research is largely about. I compiled the best nuggets from all 23 interviews with security buyers, and trust me, they did not hold back, and neither did I. So enjoy this show, and thank you so much all of you for a successful 2022 here's to an even better 23 let's get it going
1: taking advantage of negative press to me is not a good first foot in the door it's okay to have a clear association of we were the ones who could have stopped that i think the problem is 90 percent of the people that are doing that kind of marketing believe they're the ones that could have stopped it and only 10 percent really were
0: I want to know, though, what you hate most about this industry.
1: The ambulance chasing is probably my number one. Colonial Pipeline hits, and all of a sudden, 4,768 vendors are hitting me up with, Don't be the next Colonial Pipeline. You know, SolarWinds hits, and it's the exact same thing again. But it doesn't matter. Equifax, you know, the bad thing happens to somebody somewhere. and you know, some huge percentage of the vendor community, I don't know, 60% of them jump on this ambulance chasing bandwagon and I just, I hate that. I hate it. In your opinion,
0: are there any differences or anomalies in the market right now that we can learn from or take advantage of to stand out?
1: Yeah, let let me start with the opposite of that question first. I'm gonna say some marketers believe their own BS. It's super important to have a true, fundamental, realistic nature and notion about where you really are in the market. Do you have real competitors and if so, how competitive are they really? Are there two of you that are truly doing all the same things? You know, you really, truly need that honest self-reflection as a marketing organization. And I know that's very challenging because... What marketing is tasked to do on a daily basis is to come up with all the reasons why we're super cool, come up with whole new paradigms to describe what we do, come up with whole new ways of envisioning and characterizing what we do. And if your job is to always be coming up with a new perspective and a new twist on what you are, it becomes harder to just simply open the box up, put the parts on the table and go, this is what it actually is. You're, you're so busy focusing on a new twist, you forget to focus on what it actually is in the first place.
2: One uh, overarching thing is that cybersecurity is all about technology, which is not true. You can see that in the way that most companies communicate. This focus on the tech instead of the problem it solves is one of the main issues in the industry. AI enabled whatever, no one cares. (laughs) People care about what you can do for them, how you help them solve a problem. If you really are too much in love with your product and technology, you are going to miss the point.
0: You're going to be disconnected from people. In your opinion, why are vendors missing the mark in terms of of content marketing to the security practitioner? One of the key
2: things that I've seen consistently is that they're more focused on the competition than what they want to achieve as a company. You're not going to be able to follow your own path and carve out that path and realize like, hey, what are we trying to do with all this content that we're putting out? The other thing is not talking to customers. And that leads to, you know, putting out content that's not nuanced enough, that sounds generic, it seems disconnected, or having like two types of content, highly technical and thought leadership, and nothing in between. You need to know who your primary audience is not knowing who it's for will lead you to create random pieces of content because we thought and we saw that other people are talking about this, but yeah, does your customer care about that? Or was it just something that they cared about like three years ago and now they're at a different stage? Keeping content people siloed in your company, it is not going to help you make a meaningful difference. And not having a documented process for all of that, that ties, you know, principles, to the reason of their existence, to product, to everything else, um, that's going to lead to a lot of frustration uh, and a lot of disconnection. There's so much work to be done in this industry, which I totally, totally love, and it's filled with really great people. And why won't just people talk to one another?
3: <laughs> I want to ask all of my security vendors to make my business case for me. I think the product is cool, maybe not, whatever, but make my business case for me. And whatever information they need from me, I can provide. That is my way of forcing a vendor to think and communicate in terms that I like.
0: So now you're in this new role and you're faced with several decisions already. Right now, what's your one bleeding neck challenge?
3: So I don't get to do things the way that I necessarily would like to do them, which is fine, but it does require a little bit more thought and a little bit more consideration. And I need to understand uh, the vendors that I have, that I'm in contracts with, I need to understand their philosophies. And what I find is that when I read their websites, I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. And that's frustrating for me because I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm pretty, pretty well accustomed to this space. And if I can't read your website and find out what it is you do and why you do it and how you do it, that's frustrating to me. And I mean, they're pretty websites, but they they don't give me what I really want um, as a CISO or as a security engineer for that matter. And they're not uh, transparent enough about their public documentation site, things like that, where there isn't a public doc site. And that, that's a little bit irritating. So figuring out how I'm going to accomplish my goals with a lot of vendor choices that the decisions were already made and fit within my budget, that's my current challenge. The one lesson I want to make to sales, marketers, SEs, etc. is to at least think in terms of what the business case is for your prospect. You may not have to articulate that, but think through what is the business case. Why would they spend this amount of money with me? If you're Mm -hmm. thinking in terms of enabling the business, you're on a very, very good
4: track. The other day I attended uh, an executive advisory board and there's like 15 CISOs in the room. We talked about identity management and there's a lot of things I learned from that group. There were companies with 500,000 employees in that room. And we have the same problem. I don't have 500,000. I do have 30,000, still a lot of problems. And this peer-to-peer is so valuable for us because uh, you know, we can't just rely on vendors to tell us, hey, this is the best thing since sliced bread.
5: Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic.
4: Are you ready it's always good to ask or advise a lot of them they have this experience one particular cloud security tool that we have decided to you know to go with to purchases coming from this peer-to-peer group someone said hey what is your experience with this front of things and there's like seven eight CISOs back and forth posting their experience and this is exactly our experience toward a POC. And the POC is so limited. You cannot identify the volume and problems in a short 30-day POC. This group of CISOs, they have been running some of these tools for months now. They were not marketing for their product. They were providing, hey, here's the good and the bad. Just imagine the information and gathered there. I would pay for some of those information if there was a service out there.
6: <laughs> in your opinion,
0: what is the... Ideal structure of a community, peer-to-peer event, how would it look like in your
4: eyes? The key is like the diversity of activities. We're doing conferences, we're doing dinners, we're doing bike rides. We're constantly trying to think of what would really be interesting. Last week, we had a dinner and of course, it was sponsored by an organization, by a vendor. I told the sponsor that, hey, just focus 10 minutes about your product, who you are, some of your customers, and let's have a very relaxing evening. And all of us work tirelessly all day and go to dinner was very, you know, refreshing. I'm here, gonna be here 10 hours today, Danny, at least. And I want to go to a nice dinner and be able to talk to my friends, but I don't want to go listen to another PowerPoint or maybe listen to another sales pitch. That dinner was very good for us. But at the same time, uh, I don't want it to look like work. I think that's the key. It should not resemble like you're still working. I know a lot of vendors have been doing events like shooting or bourbon tasting. After COVID, we missed those. In the past four months, at least in the Dallas area, There's at least four or five events every week. Unfortunately, we can probably attend only one of them Mm -hmm. at best. And going back to your question about structure, I don't really know what would work best because everyone, uh, some of our friends don't even attend anymore because they're so busy and tired. Many of them work 50 to 60 hours. Sometimes I'll text them, hey, we miss you again at the event. Hey, you. sorry, I... I didn't realize the CISO job that I just took is uh, much harder than my previous ones. (laughs) They work hard and it's hard to find a way for us to, how we could have this peer-to-peer conversation where it doesn't interfere with work. You mentioned
0: something interesting though. You said that there are about four to five events a week and CISOs only have time for an average of one. How do you go about separating or identifying which ones would be most valuable to you? What is the indicator that for you to go, okay, ooh, I should I should go to this yeah. event?
4: Well, the, there's another side of the coin there, Danny. The schedule is very important. There was an event a few weeks ago that I really wanted to go because they're going to talk about cloud security. Unfortunately, it dropped on a uh, a Tuesday afternoon and I couldn't do it. For many of us, even if it's really a great, great program with a great speaker, a great resource, we'll get out of our way and attend But 90% of the time, Danny, we have to look at our own schedule. And many of us have still, you know, younger kids. I'm fortunate my kids are in college now and all of them are in the dorm.
0: At what point is it okay to bring in that PowerPoint or the value proposition to the event? (laughs)
4: Most of my colleagues agree with me on this topic that especially initial meetings, I don't think there's a room for demos or PowerPoints because I think I heard it from you, Danny. It's all about relationships. If you don't have a relationship, the products, the technology is probably 70% of the equation, but you gotta have to build that partnership and relationship with us. That example, last week at the dinner, I told them, please, no PowerPoint, no demos, take advantage of this gathering to build a relationship with the CISOs. I think PowerPoints and demos have a time, maybe second or third meeting when you've identified, is there a, a legitimate need for this solution? Is there a problem that you're trying to solve? The difficulties, many vendors and manufacturers start dishing out white papers and PowerPoints when they don't even know what struggles you have, what are your pain points. So I think it's very important for the vendor community to understand, do it step by step. Now, I understand many of these vendors spend hundreds or thousands of dollars organizing these gatherings, these dinners. But at the same time, I think it they will benefit more if they start building the relationship than doing PowerPoints. I've been a buyer now, Danny, since tw- 2005, buying solutions and technologies now for a lot of companies. And until now, for some reason, <clears throat> you think people have learned how to sell, and it's 2022 today. And somehow, they think these tactics still work with buyers I like mean, They have to do the pre-work before they could get my attention. I think it's important that especially People working in the manufacturer, vendor side, cybersecurity, you sell a variety of products, but I think most people forget that you sell trust. You sell products that helps us establish trust, not just for my company, but, you know, for us to look into your products. I think it's important that you start there at the relationship level. It doesn't have to be the CEO of your company, it doesn't have to be the CEO, it could be a business development person, a salesperson within your team, I think it's important to build that relationship. Your product may be the best thing, maybe at the top quadrant of the gardener or a forester, but at the same time, if we don't feel good about doing business with your company, it's not. you've got to be able to start there.
0: How do you go about researching those products and how do you go about separating the wheat from the chaff among vendors and solutions?
7: Well, I guess I should just say I use the quadrant and the quadrant only, and it tells me everything I need to know about the world. But obviously, I don't know who that quadrant's aimed towards. But no, when I look at the security tooling coming out, um, no vendor is going to tell me their tool sucks. Every vendor is going to tell me their tool's the best in the breed. Every vendor is going to tell me their tool's adaptable. But what I really start to look at is I start to look at how does it apply to my business? Does it have integrations? I've worked with some great uh, DevSecOps people that could integrate anything. But there was so much customizable work that when I bring a tool in-house, I have to have it integrate natively with all my tools. So those APIs have to be built. Can I bring your tool into my environment? And then is your tool adaptable to my environment? It needs to be almost object-oriented. I I need to choose any ticketing system. I need to choose any EDR platform. I need to choose any threat intel feed. I need to plug in. So I need to be adaptable. And then to be dead honest at this point, I'm also looking at how long have you been in the market? You might be the greatest thing since sliced bread, but if you've only been in the market for a month or two, are you sustainable? Do you have an actual support plan? Are you able to assist me? Do you have a chicken issue? Early in my military career, I encountered inflatable beach ball satellite antennas, and they were amazing because everything weighs something. So our satellite uh, dishes weighed 600 pounds. This beach ball weighed 50. It was amazing. It was it a was game changer. The only problem is the guy was making them in his garage. So we couldn't buy it because we just didn't know if he'd be there the next day. Thankfully, I can tell you those those beach wall antennas are now standard operating, released in the army um, and special operations years later. But at the point, it was the greatest thing I could ever think of, but we weren't sure if they were supportable and viable. So I'm really looking at viability. And then the street cred, I'm gonna talk to my peers. I'm gonna say, have you heard of X? Have you used X? What do you think about ToolX? Where do you think your tools use? Can I speak to a customer or do I know somebody? I had one vendor that name dropped somebody and I said, oh, I know the director of infrastructure there, hold on. And I called him and what his experience was, was not what the vendor was telling me. And in the end of the day, honesty, I, I want you to tell me where your tool doesn't perform best. I guarantee you if your tool is 10 out of 10 in every category I need, I can't afford it. So. What I want to know is where, where are the weak points you tool? Now I'll ask honestly, where does this tool not perform well? And if someone says that there is no place they can think of, I don't believe them. You know, yeah. everything has its flaw. everything has its weak spot, it's okay. Um, I just want to know, do
8: we, have we addressed it?
0: What would help you speed up the process from the vendor side?
8: I'm going to be very brutally honest and say as little bullshit as possible. Mm-hmm. There's a tendency, especially in RFPs, to give hundreds and hundreds of pages of text for people to read. And I don't know if the people writing those RFPs realize that no one's reading them, right? We're going to read as little as possible to make a decision You know, the technical diagrams, the real high level explanations, the few slides that can give us the message. No one's going to read hundreds of pages. We don't have the time, we don't have the capacity, no one can digest that. So as focused information as possible, Mm -hmm that will really help everyone to make a decision. And when you go with the presentations, bring the people that will actually deliver the project to present it. Mm. And the people that you know will stay with the client because it was clear for us from the get-go that the people giving the presentation are the ones that will actually carry out the project. And they were impressive. We had other companies that brought 20 partners to the presentation and you know we've been around the industry for a while it's clear to everyone that none a single one of them will stay once the project will start mm-hmm. and if we ask you to give us a proposal what you think we should do don't give us an answer we'll do whatever it is that you want us to do no we called you you're the expert you tell us what you think we need to do give us a focus message and then we can make a decision
9: cyber security can vary a lot from organization to organization if we talk about a country like india and uh, organizations whose head offices are not in India will face these challenges a lot because they don't have a lot of decision-making capability locally and staffing becomes an immediate challenge welcome to audience first a podcast
5: for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience, listen to and talk with your buyers, and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic, Are you ready?
9: There's so much to do because the threat landscape is continuously evolving. You have to improve the security and there's a lot of pressure from the project standpoint to deliver, upgrade security tools and softwares and also, you know, do more pen tests, application security tests, regulator following up, report to the board and so on and so forth. We have a lot of catching up to do. The staffing is a big challenge. The other challenge is the fact that I think the industry is a bit nascent. I can... Probably talk more about this from an India standpoint because a lot of people in security are self taught and they are in security because they have a deep interest in it. But if you look at the demand in the industry, the demand is huge. So if you compare it with other areas like software engineering or application development, there is a proper pedagogy, there's proper qualitative education, which is and training infrastructure which is present because good quality people are coming out and it's not a hit and miss when you're trying to look at resources and you're trying to hire because even, and you can even hire people who are just out of college, etc. So that, and can train them. So that is something which I think is missing, especially in India. There is a lack of quality education in the cybersecurity area. We have so much to do and we have very little resources to execute it. But if you know about regulators, you know, specific industries like banking, healthcare, the regulation is very, very strict. And we have very less leeway in terms of what is coming through at us. I would say a smaller setup, it's even more challenging because you have then, you know, your, your setup centralized in regional or head offices. Versus when you have, you know, these regulations coming in, they look at it from, from a very wide angle and if a regulator writes something, they would write it from the perspective of a retail bank. Now, if you are into pure, pure corporate or commercial banking, the scope of the regulation for you is very limited, but the lens does not change from a regulatory standpoint. So for us, these regulations are like books; we have to go through them. It keeps on evolving every couple of years. We get new requirements, and these are huge. And for us, it's a bit of a catch a situation because we are we don't know what is applicable because it's written in, in a very very I would say broad sense. It's not very pointed. So we have to kind of assign its, its meaning for us and then basically discuss it with a lot of internal teams to say, to say that, okay, this is the meaning and this is what we will do it. So for us to find out the scope of the regulations which come in, to find out which applications are in scope, what to exclude, what to include, it becomes a bit of a, a long haul for us. And because of this layers of defense and regulatory requirements and reporting that has been put, we already we are already behind when when you you know a hacker has only one job he has to hack right you, they don't have to report we have to report we have to maintain you know KPIs KRI's and all, a lot of different stuff processes documents policies which a hacker doesn't have to so we are already on the back foot and so it's a continuous chase that we are in so that is something which you know can only be tackled through a couple of things one is you know more qualitative discussion and involvement in the evol- evolution of the regulation vis-a-vis different sectors and different geographies. And of course, the uh, sensitization towards security at the highest level has to be done more actively so that threats are met with adequate houses to, to mitigate them. Otherwise, you know, we are on the back foot and we are praying that we don't get hacked. Every time a vendor comes through the door, th- what they're looking at is just a closure of a deal. I can see that pressure on them because you know it's a competitive field everybody wants to you know get a project and with a reputed organization so instead of asking us problems they are saying yes sometimes vendors say yes to anything that we are asking them to that comes out very clearly and after the service happens and after project is delivered or on an ongoing basis when we are receiving services feedback is something which is missing which i think vendors can take advantage of vendors should take advantage of because Either you are using product or product as a service, or if you're using a service in in security, there it has to be backed by a proper service. I don't see vendors going ahead and taking feedback or having that mindset of service instead of <clears throat> trying to sell, trying to understand what are the areas that we are working on, and is there some is there some way in which they can support us and uh, having frequent service evaluation calls or or catch up calls with us so that, you know, they can help, they can serve us better. You know, is moving in a direction, but currently, like, this um, service-based mindset is missing in security. I've
10: been a CISO for almost four years now. What do I need help with? What a lot of other people like me coming up into the security field and are already those at the top, many of them too. We need help with that translation. How do I present to my board without killing them with numbers? How do I present to my board without giving them a piece of technical data? What does my board care about? What do my executives care about? What does my CEO, CFO, CMO, what do they worry about? I could go back to them, but that's my time. That's my CEO and everyone else's time. That's super, super expensive. Or you could go and say, listen, we interviewed 100 CEOs. These are the things they, on average, like to see in this order with this amount of detail. We had the same information from the CFOs, CMOs, board directors that have technical background, board directors that have financial background, board directors that have this background. In fact, Mr. CISO, who I'd like to get in front of, I've looked at your board and I evaluated your board members and their histories and I can, with some degree of certainty, tell you what they would be interested in versus what they wouldn't, and give you some examples of how to present to them better. You will have me at that seminar every day of the week.
0: Gets me to thinking, how can we create, on the vendor side, how can we create that experience more meaningfully so that you can make the decisions you need quickly and easily without stealing from you essentially stealing your time stealing your money
11: at the end of the day man it's all about people you know i have a saying i use all the time information yeah. security is not about information or security as much as it's about people people suffer when we make the wrong call and people are the cause of it too you know so and i don't fault marketers who because you can always tell a marketer whose heart is in the right place versus a marketer who's just wants to sell your shit. You know, and the way you can tell that is when a marketer actually asks me, you know, what are you working on? What kind of problems are you trying to solve? You know, they inquire more versus, yeah, I got a solution. Well, do you even know if that's my problem? Or are you creating a problem for me that I wasn't thinking about because I know myself pretty well, but now you're telling me I got this thing, um, So I I, would—I mean, I I love the fact that you're going to take it back to you know your team and and think about that stuff. But I think just the fact that you're inquiring about it speaks volumes to who you are. You know, I mean, it builds trust. There's three things you need to build—you know—to get customers in this industry: you need trust, credibility, and likability. And as long as you can establish those three things, you'll—you'll kick ass. I struggle on the yeah. likability because I'm—I tell the truth too much, and people are like, "Whoa, we didn't want the truth, Evan." You know, I mean, I get the trust and credibility thing—that's cool. But keep the mouth shut. I think the longer you spend in something, the more you gain wisdom, right? It's not—it's not anything yeah. magical. I mean, if you live long enough, you just have you happen to end up with observing things that happen, you know. And so, for the people who mm-hmm. are happy being whatever they do, it does eventually catch up with you. You know, we've seen it happen before. Uh, and if you're fine, I mean, if that's the way you want to live, I, I I actually don't. You know, I don't go after you too much. I the ones I go after are the big players, right? It's the focus on what we're here for. And what we're here for is not mm-hmm. just take money,
12: right? You'll make money if you ju- do things right. Looking at how busy we are, it's very difficult to train up people to free time from un- our other pen testers and cloud security experts and GRC guys just to help the others going. So yeah, building the community, building the, the right mindset, the hacker mindset is super important to me.
0: what is the hacker mindset
12: it's just thinking around problems basically curious people people that want to know how stuff works how everything's put together how Mm -hmm. it interacts and what i'd like to see is people that think a bit further than the bits and the bytes and and the cables and the plugs i want to see them also uh, look at okay how does the business actually depend on this system that i'm poking and prodding right now and what could be from that business risk perspective interesting to look at and from a threat as well. If I would be a threat to this system, how could I hurt them the most? And just play out that scenario in the test environments that we get given.
0: Do you think there are any differences or anomalies right now in the market that vendors can take advantage of to stand out?
12: That is a very good question. If you look where vulnerabilities start, it's when those fingertips hit those keys, where the keystrokes happen and the problem exists between keyboard and chair 99% of all vulnerabilities exist there so what i'd like to see is better training and also tooling that trains up while it finds issues so that you can get better gamify that stuff seriously if you get that sql injection out of it first time that you get caught putting a sql injection or cross-site scripting attack into your web app yeah that's not good this is how you fix it and it goes through training and it shows developers where that issue exists and how it exists and how it came to be the second part that i'd like to see there is that it keeps track of how often you could have made that mistake and then says oh you could have made the mistake but you actually did well this time you learned from your last mistake and just put like a score against that Gamify it and say, okay, this dev has like a six year track record of not introducing any security vulnerabilities. Here's a big fat prize drive home your Tesla Model 3.
13: A lot of times, what I'm looking for is um, you'll see a security tool and they're saying, hey, we go ahead and we do this for the MITRE attack and we fit in this MITRE attack or we fit in this whatever attack framework. Okay, I got that. But I'm using the NIST framework. So, where do you fit in there? I get the fact that you're talking the offensive framework, but you should really talk about the compliance framework, which a lot of us unfortunately have to live in. Show us that as well. And then the other piece that I look at is from a monetary value. If I go ahead and I put your solution in, I wanna understand what risks are you helping me reduce? And what, if any, monetary value is that? That's what I'm talking to when I'm talking with my CFO or I'm talking to my CEO or my CTO. The biggest thing is how is it gonna impact the business? The second biggest thing is value wise, what is this doing? Is this going to bring another service that we didn't have? Is this going to allow the dev teams to be able to work from home and work and be secure? Is it bringing in new services or bringing in new capabilities that we're able to do but be able to do it securely? There's cost reductions to that. And it really helps if you can speak to them because that's the differentiator. Those are the discussions I have on my end when I'm talking with the individuals that have the money. Not only meeting the compliance issues and preventing the offensive attack issues, but I'm reducing our risk overhead that we have and providing these new capabilities or these new services. And here's the monetary value of that. Cost is a big thing. I get some vendors, well, it's just cost per seat. We've got to set cost per user. And then if I talk to a vendor and they got this weird formula, where it's like, it's the number of vendors and how much hardware you have, and it's how much data ingest throughput you have on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. and we factor it all together. And I'm just like, dude, I can't even explain this to my CFO. Why the hell would I even wanna look at it? The overcomplicated pricing schemes just don't fly. When you start getting in these really weird pricing schemes that try to cover their cost for cloud, most companies will take a step back because it's very hard to explain on budget if i can go ahead and say here it's a set cost per user and this price doesn't change and i know next year there may be a two to five percent increase or whatever but it's roughly going to be around the same thing my cfo is going to be happy because he knows what to expect from me but if it's the price costs are constantly changing that's going to get stupid really quick
0: what do you hate most about the industry
13: Oh,
14: God, how long we got?
0: (laughs)
5: Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready?
14: So I think one of the things that kind of grinds me down a little bit. And a lot of people think this is a controversial statement and it is controversial to some aspect, but there's some reasoning behind it. There's a truth, there's a method to the madness is a lot of people expecting lots of entry-level roles in cybersecurity. Now, cybersecurity to me is quite an advanced technical field. So looking for businesses that are going to be hiring at that entry level is incredibly difficult. And it is quite a big ask for businesses to, open their arms to say, right, we're going to let people have this responsibility, which could potentially cause more impact, somebody that has to manage risk, that has no experience, and we want them to be able to do it. Well, for one, that's quite challenging for businesses to get to that stage. They need to be able to sacrifice the resources to train that person, And that could potentially take more resources away from the business. So uh, that hiring manager may need to step away from their duties to train people up. And that becomes quite cost intensive for businesses. So a lot of people are crying out for entry level roles. And for me, it's like, well, why don't we change the narrative a little bit? Instead of crying for these entry level roles, why don't we say, hey, how do we bring ourselves up to the level which is being asked for more commonly? Why don't we focus on that instead of dragging the the kind of barriers down um, to a lower level, which overall drags the quality down of people because people aim for a lower level. Why don't we strive to meet that requirement? So for me, I'm one of these old fashioned people where I say, well, let's let's meet them. Let's not say meet in the middle. Let's go meet them. Let's improve ourselves as much as we possibly can to fulfill their requirements instead of crime entry-level roles when really even in this economic climate it's incredibly difficult for any department or any function to have an entry-level role even accounting they want people that can go in to do accounts straight away they don't want people to learn on the job they want people to be able to go there and perform their role they want to make sure that that investment in that person is going to pay off straight away they want to be able to see that return on investment they want to see that work happening what they don't want to do is essentially become an academy.
0: Apart from that current challenge and that issue and, and that beef you have with the industry, <laughs> as a leader in in security operations, what is your one bleeding neck challenge?
14: Oh, I think if, if we talk about security operations, the, one of the things that really kind of keeps me up at night is maturity in security operations. It's the fact that a lot of businesses stick a security operations center into their business and just don't do anything with it. They just throw logs at it, it produces alerts, and it does stuff. That's all they're concerned about. But they don't have like a maturity strategy. They don't think, okay, right, we're generating alerts, but how do we look at this security operations factory that's generating potential value that we can look into? For example, i done a talk to security operation managers about, how do we remove the constraints in a security operation center? Um, and <clears throat> one of my analogies is the security operations center is a factory. There's the inventory, there's the materials going into the factory, so we could say log sources, and then there's the the throughput, the processes, you know, the, the sim, they correlating the data, producing the alerts, and then the output, which is the product, which is the incidents, the alerts, and it's <clears throat> how do we mature this? How do we make sure that this factory is working? optimally aligned with the business goals and objectives instead of just throwing more inventory in and hoping that the processes in the middle that are trying to generate these alerts, keep up with what you're trying to do. So maturity is one of these things that I think that the industry is struggling to grasp. What does maturity look like? How do we approach maturity? Why do we need maturity? For me, the operations is a function in itself that needs its own strategy
0: As a SOC leader, what's the ultimate goal that you're trying to achieve?
14: I think the ultimate goal for me, and this is a bit of a pipe dream. So, you know, I I do sound a little bit crazy when I say this, but (laughs) a security operation center that integrates with almost all business functions in some way, shape or form that provides value to all business functions, whether it be through helping them with visibility, helping them with challenges, um, helping them do things safely, uh, whatever it may be i think there's some way that we can integrate with different parts of the business so one of the first things i do is i don't look at the tool itself i look at the problem what are we trying to achieve here how big is the nail and how big does the hammer have to be and what's the wood that we're trying to hammer the nail into i try to look at the problem what are we trying to solve so i look at a threat model i understand okay right We want visibility, want ability to do detection and analysis. We want to identify threats. So first of all, threat model. What's our critical assets? What's our crown jewels? If it went down tomorrow, would it stop the business? That's what we need to protect. We need to protect what generates value in the business. So we understand what needs protecting. We put that in a wrapper and say, right, this is our crown jewels. Now Now we need to start understanding what is the threat to these crown jewels? Is it malware? Is it hackers? inside of threats is it floods is it storms is it tornadoes you know we need to stop putting all these things into this this bracket of a threat and then we need to look at okay right that's our threat model and now we need to ask ourselves the question how would they appear where they materialize how would these attacks come to fruition once we start to theoretically go through those scenarios we understand where we may need to put our eyes and ears so then we can say right okay now that critical web application server is sitting there, we may need to ingest the 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 web application firewall logs and the web app logs. And this is the this is our detection use cases. This is what we're trying to detect. Instead of the age-old, let's just ingest everything and then we'll worry about it later. I think we need to go all the way back, not worry about the tool. I mean, we can talk about the tool later on, but we need to talk about what we're trying to achieve. Why is this why is this discussion even in existence? And that's why I think I've got to the stage where I am in my career is I ask these very nuanced questions that is kind of like left field, strangely left field for a lot of people. is They don't like being asked these questions like, why does it exist? Um, I, had a, I had a discussion with um, a security operations leader um, and we were discussing, right why, why does this SOC actually exist? And it all just goes back to the same question. It's, it's too protect the pocket money of the business you now what's in the bank we need to protect that it goes back to that that, uh, that adage but for me a lot of times when i'm looking at a solution i want to look at well what is it trying to solve is it actually going to solve it because there could be a case where you're just buying a blinky box
15: Practitioners are guilty of this, vendors are guilty about this. Too many people think that if you fall into jargon and start spouting geek speak, that you're going to impress people. In fact, the opposite is true. All you're going to do is turn them off because they're going to start tuning you out and then you've lost your message and an opportunity that could be quite valuable. Security, at the end of the day, is always around business risk and what it means for our business if we get it wrong. And if I cannot explain to my executives what the business risk is, if I cannot explain how it could potentially impact our achievement of our strategy, I failed. Everybody in New Zealand, and I think everybody in the security community worldwide is gonna tell you there are just not enough people. One of the biggest ways to alleviate that shortage is automation. If we can let people focus on the stuff that actually needs the human brain to analyze, that's going to go a whole long way to to helping us with the
0: skills shortage. Are there any differences or anomalies right now in the market in New Zealand that marketers, salespeople or vendors can take advantage of?
15: New Zealand's actually a pretty good test bed for some of the stuff that they want to roll out because of the fact that we are so far ahead in terms of time zones of everybody else. So if something breaks in New Zealand, they can turn it off and then they've got a bit of time to fix it before they roll it out to the rest of the world, particularly the U.S. What do you think are some cardinal rules vendors, marketers, or salespeople are breaking these days? So the one that just gets to me is when your vendors not doing their research. They send out mass emails that are just not even relevant to my role. But the one that gets me every time is somebody who emails me and says, Would you like to know about this service? And I've emailed them back and said, Yeah, we would love talking to our competitors about what they're doing. And we'd love to learn more. Strange enough, I never hear from those guys again.
16: When you build that rapport and you have a true relationship with a business, word of mouth, right? That can be your best advertisement beyond a web page or beyond that. People are outright suggesting you because of the experience that they had. That that is a a resource that is immeasurable in value, right?
0: What's your one bleeding neck challenge?
16: With threat hunts and actionable data, right? It, that's one of the uh, struggle points, of course, is finding intelligence threads, um, where there's actual information I can turn and put to you straight away. A lot of times it's sifting through, you know, you just, it's like opening the fire hose on somebody at times and really um, more contextual based than what really applies to my business and what I'm doing now, because somebody that's attacking the federal government and those types of attacks, could they be leveraged in our environment? Probably, but is that really the, the kind of threats that are coming my way? What's the ultimate goal you're trying to achieve? To continue to keep data secure, right? Keep keep the bad guys out. Mm-hmm. Even figure out the bad guys are in before you necessarily know they're in, right? Yeah. Those things are reactive. Most Most times, you are triaging or reacting to a situation. I I dream of being able to proactively seek things out before they become a problem and be able to, to patch and keep a system at a normal
0: state. The worst thing they've done, you've experienced from a vendor. I want to dig into that story.
16: What I don't like is when it's out there and you really don't have a solution completely done, but yet it's sold as a future. So the customer is going, you're setting the customer up for disappointment, right? Because you say your your product does A, B, and C, and it kind of does A, B is A in progress, and C is in Q&A right now, but it's not out there yet. There, there's a lot of them that I've run into in this particular industry.
17: As marketers, we actually use the same techniques that attackers use. And what's important is, is that how do we distinguish ourselves from the attackers that's the fear that many people have is that where is this information coming from and where it's taking us to is is it malicious
0: what are those alternative means that marketers can use to give you access to information easily
17: the alternative means is really about providing multiple methods of sources rather than just providing a link What you can say is if you're not comfortable going here you can go direct to your pro website and here's how you can find it manually so you know self verification, here here's our ssl you know certificate so you can actually sh- show it's coming from a verified trusted signed source and so really providing multiple means of going to the same information without doing clickbait marketers tend to not want to do that because of course they lose that source they lose how people came to that information because it, it gets around the clickbait side of things where you want to track and you want to to understand about where they came from. But at the end of the day, we want them to get to the information. And if we provide multiple means, yes, we might lose that original source or where they came from to get the information. However, at the end of the day, the goal is to get them to to the information where they can make educated, wise, smart decisions. So providing means of how they can verify whether the, the URL or hyperlink or QR code is trusted, we need to show them ways of manually getting to the same place. For all, all marketers out there, get your network sorted and having access to security researchers who can help you get the message right. Make sure you validate and verify it before it goes out. And make sure you do research on the audience before you send it to them. Don't just send things out basically unvalidated, unverified. Get the right people to check it. That's the most crucial thing, there's more people like me in your business. <laughs> so, um, will definitely make your organizations more value-driven and less wasting people's time.
18: I despise the fact that we don't listen to people. Some do, don't get me wrong, this is not universal. There's some amazing people in this industry, but the echo chamber effect of security is not easy, and compliance is similar. You know, it has to be this way because that's what the rules say. Well, yeah, but there's reality that intrudes on that. that we've tried to use scare tactics for so long. FUD is just, everybody's jaded to FUD, man. We're done with that. The fact is that I realized that one of the bigger problems as well with security and compliance is that these companies don't know how to sell. They don't know how to market themselves. When you go to sell something to somebody, they have to go, oh, that's pretty, that's shiny, but I'm not spending money on it until I care. If your users, audience, prospects, don't understand what you're getting them, the benefits to them, they're not gonna care. And all too often I see product companies and services companies and systems and whatever, selling, look how shiny it is. It's a silver bullet, it's gonna solve all your problems. And I just wanna go, no, tell me the problem. Tell me what it will do for me. Tell me why I bloody care. And that is the question that too many companies don't ask. If your audience is not the first piece in your being and who you are, why are you building stuff? lead with a genuine
19: message come to help i think people will gain more from being able to be helped at black hat than leaving with 50 t-shirts for the first timer it's pretty cool to get all that swag but i think if they leave with something that actually makes sense you know i think it's way more meaningful <laughs> there was one vendor that had their marketing all over the place they were leading with prevention. And I'm just like, (laughs) there's a lot of people that I'd walk by that sign with and we'd always look or we'd like point like 100% prevention. It's catchy at that point, right? You get a lot of people's heads to turn. But nothing is 100%. We know that. Maybe it's a good marketing trick where we approach them and say 100% prevention, huh? Well, hold on. Let me tell you why we went with that story. Maybe it's to reel you in. But I feel like the marketing team needs to... Be more genuine. If you're going to want to reel people in, lead with a genuine story, right? Heck, if I saw a vendor that said, we're just gonna be honest with you, it's 50-50, I'd I'd take that conversation. What made you say 50-50? Because you know it's gonna happen either way, but do you have statistics? Did you go based off of maybe your own clients that were impacted by a threat? Going into the next black hat and future black hats, marketing has to change and it starts with listening to the people they should actually reach out to their clients like what would you like to see us do at black hat not hey guys palo alto is leading with this message or cisco's leading with that message microsoft's leading with this and it's like now 100 vendors are always on the news they're on money talks we need to go with that no no you don't if anything demystify it if they're leading with that maybe it's marketing maybe it's getting the stock market for them up who knows whatever it is just lead with a genuine message at some point, Black Hat Vegas, it just gets taxing. <laughs> we go there to completely reboot our brains. That's why we call it Hacker Summer Camp. But if we turn it into a meaningful conference where people can have genuine conversations and learn from each other at vendor booths, at that point, I think it'd be awesome. Heck, I mean, I would ask vendors to ask their own clients, like, listen, you know, we'll get you guys out of Black Hat. Let's put you in a conversation with like five other CISOs. You know, let's have a fireside chat just completely candid and tell us some of the things you love and you kind of think we should do better so that people learn from it. Because if they are looking at us, they can learn from you on how to operationalize better. It's just got to be genuine. No one's perfect.
6: I rest my case. Yeah. (laughs) When somebody, any kind of human being, is put under a ton of stress, that's very sudden. And before they even know what's going on, they get a call from a reporter or from even a regulator. It doesn't matter who. They're put in front of a camera, they fumble, right? They might fumble, probably will, unless they're super experienced and sticky to the media. Everybody's really stressing them out, waiting for them to say something. And I've seen it. I've seen it so many times, I have so many exams. I actually keep record of them. <laughs> because it's important for me to see how things go wrong to help companies fix it, do the right the right way. So what does it mean a control message? I want to bring into this conversation a notion called the commander's intent. Right? That means that the company sits together with the CEO, with the CISO, with everybody that manages risk for them, with the comms team, with the PR team, all those important people that shape the message all the time. And I want them to think about what is the most meaningful thing for us? Commander's intent allows everybody across the land, it doesn't matter whether the CEO is available or not available is on a flight, is in a meeting, everybody knows what to do. Do right by the customer. We'll pay all costs, period. That's the stuff I want them to talk about in advance and decide there. Or as they say, we will not pay a ransom to cyber criminals, period. If somebody's life is at risk, we will pay up to. $5 million, I want them to think about it in advance. And even when the time comes and they have to make other decisions, they still have the poor understanding of what they decided in advance. The CFO or whoever is not around, their pre-approvals, pre-authorizations in place already. Their comms team already has an idea that was approved by everybody, by legal, by all the important people that have to be in the room, of if a breach was to hit now, I don't have to wait, within 30 minutes, I have a standing statement. And I'm gonna say A, B, C, I'm gonna get the information from this person, and here's their phone number, their email address, here's their delegate, here's the other delegate, and I'm gonna get that information from them and then I'm gonna put out this statement and it's gonna be a good statement that was approved in advance. That's what I mean about controlling the message. I don't want them fumbling in front of cameras or trying to, you know, scramble to understand things and they don't know who to call and they don't know who to go to. This person said that, the other person said that. I want to have a straight up seed document with all the information from their technical team. Let's just organize the chaos because there's chaos.
20: I feel like for those of us who are In the cybersecurity industry, especially for those of us who get to a position of leadership, we get targeted with so many people that we can become very distrustful. I used to work for Disney. You trying to get access to the mouse or do you want to talk to Malia? That can be really challenging to understand. You're in a transition
0: phase now, but as a CISO, what is your one bleeding neck
20: challenge? With all the different companies that I've worked with, it's always the number one asset management. At, at Hulu, when I was called up to, to build their vulnerability management program and headed up, first thing I asked was, okay, how many assets do we have at Hulu? Crickets. No one knew. Even if you're 95% covered and you have the best tools and products in the world. All it takes is one system that you don't have eyes on, that you don't know exists, that has an open S3 bucket somewhere, and you get popped, and now you are the head of security that lost Disney or Hulu or whatever. What keeps me up at night was, please don't let Disney get owned. That'll be the end of my career (laughs) in cybersecurity. So... Asset discovery, it's the number one universal challenge across every organization I've ever worked with. And then after that follows vulnerability management, incident response, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't know what you have, how do you know you can secure it? It's always about what tool can be as a supplement to the main or primary cybersecurity tool. It's rarely a straight out replacement because ripping out a tool that's already embedded within the environment is such a pain, such a huge process. We're already understaffed, we're already under budgeted, you know, like we just don't have the, the capability to do that. Everything that we want is like, how will this make our lives easier? How will this save us some personnel hours? How will this help us automate our lives?
21: Imagine you have the same bottle and it's soda. So the bottle of soda is filled with bubbles and the more you shake it, when you open it, it will explode. So, we all have emotions stuck within us. Having emotional firewalls is having water because the water you can shape, which when you open it, it won't explode. We all suffer from past and I also suffer from it. You're still a human being. Being human is a magical mess. It is only normal to doubt yourself because when something is unfamiliar to our mind, we feel discomfort. And here is where we need to flip the script. Feel our feelings of discomfort and flip the script because it is unfamiliar to the mind. Here is where it comes. Understanding what are your core values, what is important to you in your work, how are your core values of the organization? Because what is important to you, you will feel strongly about. And that's when you need to navigate fear. And sometimes navigating fear doesn't mean jumping all in, it means I'm going to take one step out of my comfort zone. If you work for an organization and your core values really clash, it's going to increase negative emotions, it's going to lower your levels of motivation, and be very difficult to build relationships with security. At the end of the day, they are human beings. Our identity has no correlation in our function if we don't allow it. We live in a society that correlates functions with identity and lacks you to believe that you're only worth it if you raise six millions of funds, if you have a high dollar status. You will get many no's. Continue, it's a feedback. No doesn't mean no, it mean come back later. Not for me, another time, how can you improve? Can you imagine when I started with emotional firewalls? I mean, doors were slammed in my face. People even laughed at me. (laughs) I I learned from my career and made I developed skin as thick as conquer down. I didn't let that hold me back. When I did, I went, how can I frame it better? How can I relate it better? How can I focus on the people that do want to learn more?
0: What's your take on free trials are enough Vendors offering free trials, is that a key factor in deciding whether or not to purchase a solution or not?
22: That's a great question. I mean, of course, the there are concerns with it too, right? I don't do trials with or proof of values with just anybody. Because you'll find out really quick when, you know, you'll hear it all the time. People say, oh, yeah, you can try this out and... All you have to do is connect it to your tenant. And the next thing you know, you look at the permissions it's requesting and they wanna see literally everything. But they'll try to say, oh, we have an NDA in place and that's gonna protect us. If you're just doing this one component for me, why do you need everything in my tenant? Why do you need these permission sets? The other part of it too is sometimes things are pain in the ass to online after you get them in your environments. You gotta be real smart and careful about which stuff you allow to do that trial of proof of value. But in this case, it made perfect sense. Like, yeah, we need to see how this actually works, so we did it in a sandbox environment. It is good that companies offer proof of value or, or free trials, because to me, that shows that they're willing to stand behind their product, right? If your product wasn't gonna hit it and knock out the needs of the customer, why would you set it in front of them and just say, yeah, try it out, let us know? Another great example is abnormal email security, great product, and we did a proof of value there to the point where it's like they're not even selling at this point. They're just showing us results. And we're the ones saying, yeah, let's uh, let's invest.
0: Is, is there anything you want to impart on the audience today before we sign off?
22: On the sales side, I truly feel like the sales is broken. It's not a traditional business, right? Like There's a longer play here. Organizations need to get religion on their sales structures and how they focus on things. Because right now they're all looking at, well, we need to close something this quarter. This is what matters. And sure that matters, but would you guys rather have the long play? How do you set up the structure to to be cohesive to that? That's an interesting problem. To the security leaders, CISOs, anybody who's going up the ranks in security, loosen up on the salespeople. We've all seen those posts, right? People are like, don't call me, don't text me, don't email me, don't look at me. They just go off on salespeople. And that's unfair. If you're a security executive, give them the time of day. You know, you could still hold your line and tell them what works for you, what doesn't, but at least respond, just be an upstanding person. Like everybody that reaches out to me on LinkedIn with a sales pitch, 100% of the time, I respond. And I'll tell them simply like, hey, here's what's going on, my budget cycle's this, so I'm not really interested in looking at products yet, or like just being transparent.
23: This is a really hard job to do, and most of the people you're talking to are stressed the fuck out. If you really care about protecting people, this is a stressful job or they're stressed out because they're under the boot heel of leadership who doesn't fully understand but knows that the insurance rates just went up by 200% because you're not doing your job. So what are you doing to alleviate stress, not add to it?
0: What I've seen in the industry on LinkedIn, it's fascinating and rewarding and empowering to see that just like you wanna help protect the world, you also want to help those who are trying to sell solutions, do a better job so that you could do your job better.
23: So part of the problem that, that marketers run into when they're trying to engage someone like myself is that they're, they're coming at it from the wrong angle. I know that that, that sales slick that says 100% stops ransomware can't possibly be true. It's, it's literally impossible. So now you've already entered the conversation on the wrong foot, right? marketers that reach out and say how can i learn from you what can i learn from you okay those folks get attention this game isn't actually about information or security it is a people thing we are protecting people and as we move closer to that digital physical barrier turning into a single thing where life and depth is now controlled by a keyboard it's never been more important than it is now. So that's what fires me up. That's what keeps me passionate and energetic to you know, work the hours I do, to do all the, the, the mentoring and the podcast and just all these things that I do to help spread this message of protection first. And I promise, if you focus on protection, you will make profits, you'll make lots of profits. If you focus mm-hmm. on commission, you will make the money. Mm-hmm. But if it's all about how much can I squeeze out of this person today to hit a quota, or can I get a can I get my attendance high enough because I misled them about what they're gonna come learn in my in my marketing material? You know, that kind of stuff is is it's part of my motivation, but it's also part of the battle
24: of, of things I fight against. I don't need another tool. What I need yeah. is I, I need help. And more often than not, I need to consolidate what I have and I need to be effective, and I need to do it with the least amount of hands I have. I need something that integrates. I need something that works effectively. I need something, I need something I can trust. Those people that gave me that money want a return on their investment. The people that are working the money want a return on the investment. I give it to you, you want a return on the investment. Everybody's taking everybody yep. takes. And unfortunately, what that means is that the person at the pointy end, the marketing and the salespeople, you sit down like, well, so little Johnny and Jemima, um, your targets for this year are double what they were last year because we just took another hundred million in investment. So we expect you to double up and, and, and really push those conversations and everybody's like, well, shit, how do I do that? How do I, how do I now maximize every single conversation? Every touch, every point. And by the way, not only do I have to maximize it, but I know that the the, the Muppets down the road took hundred million as well. And I know that they're gonna maximize it. And we're both chasing after the same audience. So how do I make myself better than them? They tell me that, they tell the company that they're good. Well, I gotta be better than good. Those of us that are at the pointy end, we're fighting. And I mean, this is not fun, we're fighting. And not only are we fighting our adversaries that are trying to get in, we're fighting sales, marketing, vendors, and suppliers. That sucks because I'm fighting facing forward and I'm also having to watch my back. That's never a good situation to be in. What it should be is vendors, suppliers, and marketers should be sitting there going, Hey, how much more ammo do you need? You covered? I got you covered. What do you need? How do you need? Hey, uh, I noticed you're using this. I can't help but hey, George has got some more ammo over there. Hey, George, get your ass over here. Uh, Hey, he's got you covered. I'll see you next week.
5: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.